the Boat Row Bullies podcast here. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two. Connor High, Izzy Glick. Hello. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are. It feels so good to be back talking Sixers. Uh, we got some summer league action, free agency, and me and Izzy, we got the itch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we were, I shot Connor a text the other week and was just like, hey, we need to do something. Uh, I know we talked in our last episode about probably doing an episode um, when, you know, some of the trades and free agency signings were wrapped up. Uh, this is that episode, start of season two, lots to talk about, lots of six, Sixers accusa- accusations, Acquisitions. Acquisitions. Lots of Sixers players signed. (laughs) Um, Lots of news around the league. Uh, Most notably, obviously, Kevin Durant asking out of Brooklyn, but we'll we'll dabble in that. Uh, Today we're going to talk pretty much, I mean, I'll say like 98% of today is just going to be Sixers basketball. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's usually what we do, Um, but there's been a lot that's been happening in the NBA, so we'll we'll touch on a little bit of everything. and it'll just it'll just be a fun episode just to just to talk about what's going on and and the realm of Philadelphia. If I may say, I know a lot of people don't love the drama of the NBA. I love it, I love it so much. It, it, it's it's reality TV for like for sports. It, for it, sports, it's fans. literally keeping up the Kardashians for men. Basically, like hundred percent. It, it's so great. What what I also love about it, and we're in a fantasy football league together. We are. Shout out to our guy Torin. Because he keeps the league interesting, he keeps things moving, he keeps things flowing. Torin, if for whatever reason you're listening right now, I have a trade proposed to you. If you could just hit yes and accept that. Um, but just like Torin in, in our fantasy league, like, it's just as soon as free agency hit, like, quite literally, like, shit just hits the fan. Oh, 100%. Like, like, it's literally like trade after trade A million trade. miles a minute. Um, and I know, uh, I don't remember what the word is, but, you know... Uh, Oh boy, I'm gonna, it's gonna escape me. When coaches or when teams talk to players too early and oh, free, tampering, tampering, thank it's, you, it's thank the, you. the legal tampering period. Which legal tampering is just like but, the, the phrase itself is ridiculous. Yeah, like and like I don't understand. Like, what's the harm of a coach or a, 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 a GM being like, "Hey, you should come play in Philly next but year." But the best part is at and this is this is like if you're just a casual basketball fan. You turn on those uh, Woj and Shams notifications at like four o'clock. Well, and and my favorite part was I got out of work early that day, and I was I was so hyped for free agency. And then at four o'clock, the news breaks with Kevin Durant wanting yep. out of Brooklyn, and I'm just like, we're in for a fun free agency. So, so God, I'm sorry. I mean, no, I was gonna say so. It's literally just like the all the notification you know request to go turn on no oh, absolutely and it's just it's like almost the best part of the season and that's what i love about the nba uh it's literally the the it's it's like year round it really is it really is i mean outside i mean besides summer league ball uh nba playoffs you get into I mean, and obviously the regular season you get you know three quarters of the year is basketball mm-hmm. and then that you get like a month or two where it's like hey here's a trade here's free agents and then you have two months where you're like, man, I miss basketball. And then by the time you really get that itch coming back, it's, it's, like it's, it's the season opener. Basketball's it is, back. It is fantastic. I will say, and I know a lot of people will agree with me, I'm sure Connor will, there is not another league in the world like the NBA in terms of the level of play, uh, in terms of the drama, everything that happens in the offseason. I mean, 
We had a crazy NFL offseason. We did, yeah. But it doesn't scratch the surface of what the NBA offseasons are. This is like, what's crazy is this is just becoming a normal NBA offseason. I know. This star player wants out. Up, this guy wants traded. Oh my gosh, here's a 19 team deal that sends this person there. And it's just madness. It's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, As a basketball fan, I love the game, but what makes me love it even more is the entertainment value in it. Yes. Um, it just, it's just, I mean, like you said, it's freaking, what month? We're in July. We're in July. The season doesn't even start till October. And, and all I'm thinking about is, all right, well, how can the Sixers trade for Kevin Durant? All right, well, how can the Sixers trade for Mikel Bridges and get into a trade if Kevin Durant ends up in Phoenix? You know, this, that, and the other. I just, I, it literally, like quite literally, consumes my life. And it's just, it's just everything I want it to be and more. And the funny thing is with baseball, okay? So baseball had the lockout. And literally it's like, okay, lockout's over. Spring training starts like in three days. And, you know, the the free agency period was like, all right, everything's all going to happen at once here, guys. And nothing happened. I remember (laughs) literally nothing. nothing. You mean to tell me there wasn't one team that tampered at all? Yeah. And it's like, I love the, the legal tampering period in the NBA is just the best because you get all these random like reports and then you get the the fake accounts thrown oh yeah and And then it's like you don't know who to trust and it's like it's annoying but it's still funny at the same time yeah I end up following you know Joe three four seven one (laughs) nine on Twitter because he reports that Kevin Durant's coming to Philadelphia and I'm like I don't know if I can trust you but I'm gonna pay attention to what you have to say there's this guy so it's literally when the Report broke about Kevin Durant, and it's like, all right, it's top two teams, or the Heat and the Suns. And then this random guy out of nowhere, he's verified. He had some, like, sports account that he runs, and it's like, Sixers are also in on it. And not a single other report I saw had anything to do with the Sixers. But you put full hope into that one person. But he was going tweet after tweet after tweet, and it was literally like, uh, there's an offer on the table from the Sixers. Sixers have this... Everything everything was going about the Sixers for Kevin Durant, and that was the only thing I ever saw yeah. on it. But it's just this random Joe Schmo guy. Yeah, it's it's what makes again, it's what makes the NBA entertaining. Is that yeah. around every corner is is something to, to look at, something to read, something to watch. Um, again, I don't know how much of it is just full of it. Ninety eight percent, probably of it, most of it, but. That's when the one person makes the prediction, and that's all it is. These yeah. people just come out with predictions. Oh, Katie's going to end up in Philadelphia. And then he's right by chance. Yeah. Freaking the earth shatters. The moon orbits closer. Like, everything changes. It's it's just so much fun. Well, man. so I, I'm going to start to creep into Sixers talk here a little bit. Um, so on his Instagram account, and I... I don't believe the Sixers are done with what they've done to either. this point. I know we're going to get into all their moves, but I don't think they're done because Reggie Bullock tweet, uh, 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 posted on his Instagram about going to Philly, and it was like his one uh, friend or whatever said, you know, coming through to Philly, and then there was another one about going to the Sixers. And it's like, all right, where is this coming from? Yeah, because now you have an NBA player who's posting and reposting pictures of like, yep, I'm going to Philly. I haven't seen a There's single not a report single thing about nobody's even Reggie mentioned. Bullock in Philly. And so it's like, all right, well, is it happening? 
Like, but I don't... It's just... It's, that's the thing. It was from his own personal account. Two Philly Sixers posts, and he posted them on his account. And how long ago was that? I remember a texting ago? you. It was a long time ago. Yeah. We were like, oh, this is exciting. I was like... I even said that. I was like, I'll wait to talk about it till reports come out. Nothing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, you were like, I'm going to wait to talk to uh, or talk about it when reports come out. I was like, well, I've pretty much already sold my hopes that <laughs> Reggie Bullock is a sixer. And because there was like, oh, well, his contract makes up exactly Matisse Thibel and Furkan Korkmaz's contracts. Works for me. And I was like, all right, well, seems legit enough to me. And I, like you said, we have not heard a single thing on that report. And it was like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> now, but let's start dabbling into what the Sixers actually did. Yes. And not what might happen yes um so i think the biggest thing first and foremost is it started with james harden yes james harden who's still not technically a sixer right at this moment in time um opted out of his contract he said he was going to opt in back when they first traded for him i think we're pretty clear that he's going to be back with the team yeah i mean i'd give it if i'm putting a percent on it i'm 99 percent sure he's coming back to philly yeah there, I mean, at this point, like, the only way that he doesn't come back to Philly is if Daryl Morey, like, burned down his house or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, if some relationship goes sour all of a sudden, if him and Joel and V all of a sudden butt heads over something stupid. Yeah. Um, but I don't see that being a likely scenario. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, there's no contract being done at this point. He opted out, and then Shams reported that he was going to be taking at least a $15 million mm-hmm. pay, pay cut. cut. Which uh, is huge. Which is big. That is Probably the biggest thing of the offseason because that gave them the most flexibility. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the draft because that's mainly where the move started. The move started. So you go into draft night, and there were some guys I was watching the draft, and some were starting to fall a little bit later. And you're going into the draft as the Sixers, and you're like, all right, we need wings. Yeah, and, and alongside of that, we need wings. But I also think the idea was we need win-now talent. Previous to the draft, I mean, the Sixers obviously made the playoffs, lost in the second round to the Heat, um, but they're close. Like, the Sixers in general, talking from last year's standpoint, like, they were close. They were close, yeah. Um, you could definitely tell that James Harden still needed some of that chemistry with the team. Uh, there were moments where he was, I'll use the word dull, he didn't look like the James Harden that, even like now, I mean, I don't expect 2016 James Harden. But, I mean, even, like, current James Harden, he didn't look there. And I think a lot of that is to do with just, okay, how do you guys play down the stretch? How do you guys do this? How do you guys do that? Um, but, yeah. It's it's like a mix of chemistry, and then I, I just don't think he was right. I think that hamstring was yeah, really bothering and, him. Yeah, and it's been really, uh, I'll use the word refreshing, to see him have a nice, healthy offseason season. Uh, we were talking about him and Sam and Tyrese Maxey working out, getting shots up, mm-hmm. running practice. Um, Which I, I'm not gonna lie, I thought we were gonna lose Sam this. I did season. too. I, I thought, I thought they for said, sure he was. They going. said he was interviewing for the one spot out there. Jazz. It was at the Jazz, yeah. and he didn't get it. And I was like, listen, I love Sam Cassell, and I, I, he's gonna be a head coach one day. He's gonna be a great head coach someday. I just selfishly am like just not yet well let's real quick while, while we're on the topic of head coaches i'm not going to bring up doc we're not going to talk about him we both i think have said how we feel about doc we're pretty much on the same what i will there, say yeah. is two of our previous head coaches have made some pretty significant teams yeah. uh you have monty in philly or in philly in uh-huh. phoenix yeah uh and then i'm gonna butcher his name it's the Celtics head coach. Yeah, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Uh, it's the guy that coaches the Celtics. But yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's like Udoke. 
I don't whatever. Whatever. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't follow Sixers. Or I'm sorry, Celtics enough to know how to pronounce his name. Uh, but he was an assistant coach for Philly too. He was. And then all of a sudden, these both these teams go on to the NBA Finals. Uh, both of them go on to lose the NBA Finals, but they get there. So what I'm afraid of is Sam gets a head coach job somewhere, builds this borderline freaking dynasty, and for the third time in a row, we're stuck looking with Doc Rivers as our head coach saying, hey, like we had this guy in our system. Yeah. and I that, don't want that to happen. It does scare me a little bit because I do think Sam is going to make a great head coach one day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he knows, he knows the game through and through. And the guys love him. I don't know if you saw him sitting courtside at the summer league games mm-hmm. with all the guys, and it's like, well, and it's there's something to be said about guys like Sam, um, who have played in the league a little more recently than guys like Doc. Yeah, um, that's, that's true. That's I a good mean, point. you can go on and on, but they seem to have a better relationship with their players, and I think it's more so because they're like, hey, I can relate to you a little better. Yeah. Um, so I think Sam does a great job of being like, hey, we can relate to each other. We can talk very honestly to each other. Mm-hmm. Again, in that practice with Tyrese. And he does still move around pretty well. No, like he, he does. He's, listen, he's running around listen. pretty well. If we ever get into a pinch, I'm asking Sam, hey, can I sign you to a 10-day? Can you run point guard <laughs> for 20 minutes? Um, you want to talk about a dog when he was a player? Yeah. But again, just just how much Sam is, is valued. Um, we, I was, we were talking about that practice. Yeah, you know, work out with Sam, Tyrese Maxey, uh, James Harden. I mean, when you can openly say, you know, James is questioning why they're doing this, Sam looks him in his eyes and says, because you miss, motherfucker. <laughs> like, there's a level of respect to that. Yeah. Not just from like, a, like, oh, wow, like, I'm your senior, respect me. But like, hey, like, I'm your coach, and we have a, a good enough friendship and a good enough relationship but I can say this to you and know it's not going to drive you out of Philly. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of guys, especially in the NBA, where it can get a little cutthroat, um, really respect coaches and trainers, um, GMs even, who are like that. Yeah. So, again, love Sam. Um, in a perfect world, we kick Doc out of Philly and Sam takes over the team. All right, on to our free agent signings. Yes. So, draft night. Um, like I was saying, so there's some guys that were kind of slipping into our range there. We had, what, 20... 21. 21. Or no. 20. I think it was 23. 23. Yeah, we had 23. Oh, yeah, yeah, 23. I'm sorry. It was 23. So we had 23. There were some guys that I'm like, all right, it's pretty nice. You know, draft was dragging a little bit. The NBA draft doesn't quite have the same pizzazz as the yeah, NFL Yeah, it wasn't draft. an exciting draft. There were a lot of players that were talked about, hey, they could move on. You know, play, this player could get traded. That player could yeah. get traded. Um, it was pretty. It was a pretty boring draft night. I would say so. And then we finally get to the Sixers, and I'm like, all right, there's some guys I like here. Let's see what they do. And then it, it gets announced that the Sixers are trading to the Grizzlies. And it's like, all right, who are we getting? And it's like we trade Danny Green and that first-round pick, obviously with Danny Green towards ACL in the final playoff game. Not going to be back anytime soon, really. Second half of the season, I'd assume, after the All-Star break. Probably. Uh, and we get back DeAnthony Melton. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, it's good. I, uh, I was, I didn't, I wasn't too familiar uh, yeah. with DeAnthony. I uh, did some research, um, and the big overall thing I saw saw a couple things. Thing one was 
uh, Grizzlies Twitter was very upset about it. Yes. And any time a fan base gets upset about it, I'm like, okay, so it was a good move. Well, look at look back at the at Seth Curry. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> when we traded for Seth Curry, Dallas Twitter was on fire. On fire. They were like, I cannot believe we just traded this guy. But so that's the first thing I noticed, uh, and then I start looking into who he is as a player. Um, you know, he's what a six foot. I have the stats here. I don't remember how tall he is. Yeah, let me let six me six foot get my four. I think. Here. So he's six two. Six two. Uh, he's a, he's a point guard, shooting guard. Will come off your bench. He adds depth, and that's you're gonna see that as the majority of the theme is it's just gonna add a lot of depth. Um, who was he was a three and D guy. I forget the percentiles he ranked in defensively. Shot the three pretty well for Memphis. He shot. Uh, 37% last year on five attempts a game, which is, is pretty nice. Yeah, so he's not necessarily your kind of guy that, like, he's, he's not a workhorse. No. He's your guy that's going to come off the bench and give you a spark plug off mm-hmm. the bench. When was the last time the Sixers have had that? Uh, Lou Will. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, like, Shake Milton is what they tried to have that. And to be fair, like, we're both high on Shake. We, we are. Really I do Jake. really like Shake. Um, he kind of got derailed last year. He was battling an injury. injury, but like he lit it up when he was, at, you know, first. Well, what was it? Guy off the bench three years ago. He had that breakout game against the Clippers where he dropped forty, and everyone was like, "Who the hell is Shake Milton?" And exactly. we were like, "That's our guy." Exactly. Like, and that's and that's when I mean, personally speaking, that's when I thought, "All right, it's Shake's time now." Like mm-hmm. here we go. This was back when I thought, hey, like maybe there's a chance we slide him into the starting lineup. You get him and Ben Simmons to run this like uh, front court, like it might work well. Well, then Shake like takes over in the starting role when yeah. Ben Simmons went out, and you're like, all right, there's something there. And yep. then comes you know start of last season, and he's he's or two seasons ago, and he's doing pretty well. And then I think he got hurt, mm-hmm. and then. He just never really found his footing, and then he had that big game against the Hawks in the playoffs. Yep. And then he was hurt most of last season, and then he kind of showed up every so often in the playoffs, and it was like, it was just a rough year for Shake. But now, DeAnthony Melton, I'm very excited for because he's the kind of guy, when Ja would get hurt, he, yeah. would, he would shine the, the brightest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's big for the Sixers. Now, they said the knock on Melton is... They questioned him in the playoffs a little bit because that's where he struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that could also be because he's still very young. He's only 24. Correct. So that could come with time. But, you know, shooting 37.4% from three, 4.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists. They said he's kind of a menace on defense. A guy mm-hmm. that, he's got a very long wingspan. Yeah. Six, six eight wingspan. He's going to disrupt the passing lanes, which is fantastic because I think the Sixers really thrive off of that. Yes. And they're starting to go towards that defensive-minded set again. Yeah. Um, that they kind of had a little bit a couple years ago. Yep. Um, so I think that's really important. Uh, but they said, if there's a one thing that I picked up from, from Memphis Twitter, is this guy's a dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we talked in our last episode about how some of the guys we think the Sixers needed, um, but outside of naming players, we needed dogs. We mm-hmm. needed guys who didn't scare people physically, but who just didn't care. Who just They're going to get after it. Yeah. All they want to do is win. They're going to do whatever it takes to get there. You know, They're going to get heated. They're going to get mad. They're just, they're just dogs. Um, and he was the start of, all right, like, 
quite literally, who let the dogs out? It's like, dog let's season. go. It's, yep. it's dog season. Bring the pound. Um, because the other moves they've made back that up. Yes. 100%. Um, and, and who was the one that said that they needed it? It was Joel Embiid. And this is really the first time that I can... thought you were going to say the Boat Row Bullies podcast. But. Well, both. But <laughs> Boat Row Bullies said it first, and then Joel Embiid just kind of echoed it. Yeah, he was listening. Yeah. Um, this is really the first time that I can remember in recent memory that Joel made it very clear to the front office that this is what we need. Yeah. Like th- this is the kind of kind of guys, this is the kind of team that we need. Well, and they listened. Yeah. I remember with the Ben Simmons drama, mm-hmm. uh, Joel came out and said kind of the opposite of what you're saying right now in terms of he told uh, Daryl, Daryl Morey, hey, do what you will with Ben Simmons. Like, I trust you to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever you bring in, I trust that it's the best that you can do. Yeah. And so, and I'm not saying it's a knock on Daryl for Joel then to come out. Um, I think it's just Joel saying like, Hey, like this is what we need. And then Daryl listening and saying, all right, yeah, you know, that is what we need. And I think, and I was telling my dad about this when I saw him over the weekend, one of the biggest things that I was saying, how we're fortunate enough in Daryl Morey is the fact that Daryl Morey is a player's player's GM. Yeah. Because there's no shot any of this is happening without, without James Harden uh, opting out of his contract. But it's that relationship that they have. And Daryl Morey made it very clear the moment that he signed in on like when he got to Philly, what was the first thing that he posted? It was him FaceTiming Joel Embiid. Yeah. And Joel Embiid, big smile. And that was kind of the summer when we were like, oh, shoot, Joel might actually leave us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because of how miserable he seemed the entire year. No. Daryl's done, I mean, fantastic things just since arriving in Philly. Yes. Um, kind of, I don't want to knock Elton, but kind of fixing some of what Elton Brand was doing. Uh, bringing in, uh, I mean, Seth Curry for one. Uh, Danny Green. Danny, yeah, like just, flipping out Horford's contract, bringing in Danny Green. You got two really good years out of Danny Green. Mm-hmm. And, you, um, and you got a great... I mean, you got a great player in Seth. What was he there for? Two years? Two, two and a half. Years. Uh, yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, who then became an important piece in flipping Ben Simmons? But like Seth Curry was a big piece in flipping. Like when you traded Josh Richardson, you got exactly what you needed in yes. Seth Curry. Josh Richardson is not what we needed. No, um, no. They, uh, so that's when the team tried to buy into the defensive mindset too much. Right, and that's um, when they went to defense, and then it the was offense like, struggled. Offense uh, struggled, and they couldn't keep up. I mean, who's that starting lineup? You had it was Ben, ben Simmons, Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. And the problem with that lineup is your only guy that was willing to actually put up threes was Tobias Harris, because mm-hmm. you didn't want really Joel Embiid camped out around the three point line. Al Horford never really went out that way. Josh no. Richardson would go entire halves without putting up a single shot. Yeah. And then, obviously, we know with Ben Simmons. And, to be fair, they were great defensively. They were. They were a very good but defensive team. But then... It doesn't matter if, you know, oh, hey, we held our... We held the Golden State Warriors to two points in the entire game, but we only scored one. <laughs> like, and that, remember, that's kind of what it was. Do you remember how much stock they put into Furkan Korkmaz that oh, season? Way too freaking much. It was a lot. We'll touch on him, because... Shout out my man Isaiah Joe because he needs every we'll, single minute we'll, for con. Yeah, we'll get into all that. Um, um, so, Dan Anthony Melton, 
very excited for him. Yes. He'll probably be the first guard off the bench. I'm assuming so. Um, probably be, I wouldn't say your sixth man just because of the next guy we signed. Uh, so you get the report, Harden opts out and is like, okay, I'm going to work with Philly to create some cap flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you hear all these reports. P.J. Tucker opts out of his contract, and you're like, well, Joel Embiid had said that he wanted a guy like P.J. Tucker, so let's go get P.J. Tucker. And if I remember correctly on a certain podcast, um, who is the one that said that they wanted P.J. Tucker and thought that would probably be the perfect fit for their offseason? Listen, I still have the notes in my phone. That would be the Boat Row Bullies podcast. That'd be exactly uh, it. was very excited I, I texted you when he signed, yeah. and I was like, I'm very glad we were right about one player. I mean, we listed a couple players. We Yeah, we kind of, I think we had the same idea in mindset. We had the right idea. We, um, we were looking for wings, which they did mm-hmm. get. Um, I think the biggest name we were going for was TJ Warren. Yes. Uh, and he ended up going to Brooklyn, which is fine. Uh, I just don't think they're necessarily done yet. I mean, they got Daniel House, which we'll touch on a yes. little bit. Um, but that he kind of fills that like athletic shooting yes. wing. Um, but anyway, so we get reports. P.J. Tucker uh, has it, interest in signing in Philadelphia. And there was a mutual interest, and then it just seemed like everything was building up. It, and it, like teams weren't going to match what the Sixers it, were going to pay. It was, hey, there's mutual interest. Hey, P.J.'s really interested. Hey, Sixers are really interested. Hey, PJ's gonna sign in Philly. Like it, 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 it was, was literally, just, and then it was like you get those like last second reports. It's like, well, the Heat are trying to make an offer, the Suns are trying to make a push, like all these teams trying to make these last second pushes, and it just never happened. And the Sixers literally six o'clock hit. PJ Tucker's a 76er. It was like three years, uh, thirty three mil. Thirty three mil. Now the one thing I will say, and I'm not sure if there's any options on that contract. I know. Uh, I think the I, last year. So. PJ is what, 30, 34? No, he's older than that. He's, he's 37 then. I think he's 37. So you just paid a 37-year-old. Yes, he turned 37 in May. You're paying him $11 million a year, which could potentially mean at the age of 40, you're paying PJ Tucker $11 million. I don't love the contract in terms of the long run, mm-hmm. um, but for this year, even next year, uh, I do think PJ adds a lot of value onto this team. Uh, I said it to you before the podcast. I'll say it again. Um, I'm going to use this player's name as a comparison. It does not mean PJ is on the same t- same level as this player. I like to think of PJ as more of the Walmart version of this player, uh, and that player I'm referencing is Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Just a guy who isn't very offensively talented, but does all of the things that never show up in the box score, that is so important to winning basketball. Yeah. And P.J. plays with such veracity in his game. I mean, he literally like he literally embodies a dog. Like, DMX in the music industry was a dog. Yes. P.J. is the DMX of the NBA. My dude only wants one thing, and that is to win. And he'll do whatever it takes to get there. Uh, you'll see him rebound. You'll see him play ferocious defense. If there's ever an argument between two players... PJ's the first person in the middle of that, and I promise you, 99% of the league is terrified of PJ Tucker when he's mad. Mm-hmm. My man is, he's a unit. He's just, he's, he's... He's your enforcer. He's your, he's your bodyguard almost. Like, he's the guy that, like, if Joel is going at it with somebody, James Harden's going at it with somebody, PJ Tucker's going to be right in there the middle, with him. And he's yep. barking. Yep. Oh, <laughs> like, like, straight up barking. Straight up dog. And, yeah. 
Um, and one of the things I really like about that trade, and I don't <laughs> remember the tweet, and I don't remember the numbers, um, but the P.J. Tucker, James Harden pick and roll from Houston, oh, or pick and pop, insane. it was lethal. So that's the thing I'm really excited for with P.J. Tucker, is they said he is probably the best corner three-point shooter in the NBA. And he, pro- he, and he is, and the knock against that is, it's about the only place he can hit a three. Yes, and that's fair. Yeah. But do you really need – and, like, that's the thing. No, is you don't he, need more. He's going to crash the boards, too. Yes. And the Sixers were so bad on rebounding Rebounds. last year. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the offensive boards, but they were just terrible at rebounding. No, altogether. the only good defender on the team – and I love my man Joel, mm-hmm. but he's, he's not a fantastic rebounder for his size. So, because I think he has a tendency to – like, he's not your traditional center where he's just going to hang around the paint the entire time. Like, he'll get his defensive rebounds, but offensively, he's more so out around the perimeter, yeah. and, like, he's the one shooting the ball mainly, and it's not like he's following his shot. Yeah. So he's not going to get a ton of offensive rebounds. But that's... But that's why you have P.J. Tucker. P.J., who's P. sitting in your corners, and it's like, hey, Joel, just put up a shot. I'm going to go crash. Yeah, like, literally, you're going to see P.J. Tucker. He's going to be camped out in the corner, right? James, Joel, you know, Tobias, they're going to put up their shot. And you're just going to see P.J. Tucker just, like, slowly creep in yeah, he's a, from the corner, and he's going to grab that rebound. He has such a high basketball IQ that he's seeing where that shot is going to hit on the rim. Yeah. And he's then following the rebound accordingly. Yes. Whether it's – I'm sorry, uh, Bryson Stott just hit a home run. Sorry, we have the Phillies game on in the background. <laughs> I'd like to watch a little bit. Um, but P.J. Is, is, has an incredibly high basketball IQ, so he's seeing where the ball is hitting on the rim – Go into the correct spot for the rebound, right? And that's why he—he's not a big like he's a big body, but he's not a big guy. He's like six 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 seven. Do you remember when he was the Houston center on that twenty eighteen yes. team? Like he, like I used said, to, I, it's a—it's—he's not a big dude, but he's a big body. I used to make jokes because I'm like, "There's no way you can make this work," and PJ made it work. He did. Like he—he's just—he knows how to throw his weight around. He knows how to play that physical, aggressive basketball, and he does it really well, even at age 37. And defensively, who wants to go up against PJ? No one. No one. Like no, Kevin no Durant. One, no Jason one wants Kato. to play guys like that. None no it. one wants to play guys like that. Guys that are just physical and will beat up on you and and and. Obviously not in, in like an offensive or a defensive foul type of way, but it's just going to leave you bruised and sore and aching because that's just the type of defense he plays. And, and you, I, like me personally, I love guys in the NBA like that. P.J. Tucker, you could even throw like Marcus Smart in that category. Mm-hmm. Like guys who just play defend, defense so well, it is literally smothering. Yes. And, and that is what I want. Exactly. And then, so let's get to, so that's P.J. Tucker. So we've gone DeAnthony Melton, P.J. Tucker. Uh, 20 minutes, half hour later, uh, Daniel House Jr. Yep. signs with the Sixers. Uh, probably the better number 25 in Philly that I can remember in recent memory. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, let's, let's touch on Daniel House a little bit because he's had a little bit of an interesting career. Uh, he kind of, I wouldn't say was a journeyman last year. Uh, he floated around between three teams. He had stuck on with the Rockets for a while. His best season's coming with none other than James Harden. Yep. Uh, and PJ Tucker. Yep. Um, and then Harden leaves, and then his numbers start to dip. And the Rockets, being a rebuilding team, they want to let some of the younger guys play. He goes, plays for the Knicks for one game. It looks like I he got three minutes, didn't get any <laughs> shots. Uh, and then he goes to the Jazz and doesn't really play a ton. Now, the interesting note on uh, 
on Daniel House there with the Jazz is Daniel or Daniel House took more of a role in the playoffs mm-hmm. actually. So they said like he actually caught on really strong. It was actually getting more minutes and actually starting well, I minutes was gonna say, with the Jazz. For a guy that only played 25 games, the back half of 25 games, yeah, he was averaging almost 20 minutes a game. Which, again, for a guy who has to learn your system and has to learn how to play basketball the way you want him to play basketball, yeah, is really impressive to be able to go in and adapt to how they want you to play. But again, his best season came with when he was playing, or best seasons came when he was playing with James, James Harden. Harden. And you can say the same for P.J. Tucker. And I think part of that reason is you can literally just camp both of them yep. in the corners, yep. and they're going to knock down their shots. Yep. Which, listen, I'm excited. I don't know. The Sixers, I still don't think they're done. No. Obviously, they're going to sign Harden. I don't think they're done. I think they're going to address their small forward role right now, their three. Because um, I don't think they're comfortable going into next season with Matisse as the starting three. I don't think they are. Either. I think they're comfortable with keeping him on the roster. I don't think they're comfortable with keeping him as the starting three like he did last year because you saw too often that it was a four-on-five matchup on on. Offense. I have watched a lot of Sixers basketball. Yep. I can't tell you the last time, and I love Matisse. I really do. But I can't tell you the last time I saw a player struggle so much offensively and not just for the sake of, oh, he's in a slump, but for the sake of, he doesn't he just have doesn't an offensive game. He will get up his three-point shots, and it is really I mean, like... is he even... I'm going to look up his, his uh, three-point percentage, but I think he's like below 30%. Well, and so one of the nice things about with Utah, Utah was all about pace and space. Uh, and Utah is very good at... They were very good at... Open threes. Yes. Like, that was that was their forte. It's, it's a lot of run and gun. Let's get some threes up. And the fact that Daniel House thrived in that role at, towards the end of last season and in the playoffs gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. Because I think that's where he's going to thrive in Philly. Yeah. And I'm not saying – I don't think he's going to be the starting three to open the season. But I think he could potentially get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think he's got that potential, depending on how he plays with the new James Harden mm-hmm. and you know PJ Tucker and and Bede and all that. And just for reference, Matisse is a career thirty-two percent three-point shooter. Last year he shot thirty-one percent. The year before thirty. His rookie year was his best year. He, th- he shot league average thirty-five. Do you remember that one game his rookie year where it was just like he was just going Lights off out. from three? Yeah, yeah. And it was like I think he hit like five or six threes one game. Well, and what I was really hoping for. And, and I'm sure I'm sure he did. Uh, was Danny to take Tease under his wing a little bit? Yeah. And be like, hey, like you know, help with his shot, help. And defensively, again, like we talked, Doc said last year in the playoffs, like I'm gonna play Matisse Thybul, like I play Lou, like I played Lou Will when I had him on my team. Except he's gonna come in and play defense. Yeah. He's gonna be my defensive spark. And so I remember Doc saying that. Matisse needs to play defense like Lou Will came in and played offense. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't work because he... you then, like you said, so many times it's four-on-five basketball where all Matisse does is stands in the dunker spot, mm-hmm. which doesn't work because you have Joel down low, you have James Harden trying to do his thing, um, and you can't put him out there for three because he... he they're not guarding they're, him. Yeah. They're, he's borderline, not as dramatic getting the Ben Simmons treatment of, okay, well, I'm going to take three extra steps back because I can close out on you, mm-hmm. and I still have faith that you're going to miss. 
And that's that's the thing that he has struggled with. And I, I think Matisse thrives when it's transition. Yes. When he can get out and run. He's an athlete. My, he, my he's man's, an athlete. Yeah. He, he's a good cutter. Yes. And that's great. But unfortunately, when you get to the playoffs, you're not seeing well, that the, transition. The, you're say, not seeing the cutting. The game, like, well, the game slows down. It, it becomes does. more of a half-court offense where, like you said— Matisse Thibault will thrive when he could get out and run, when he could get out and transition, when he could be an athlete where all he had to do was jump, catch, throw the ball down. But if, if James Harden drives and he kicks it out to Matisse for a three and Matisse doesn't have anybody around him and he hesitates because he does that. Yeah. And it's like, dude, like, come on. You like, just got to react. You just got to react. But part of the issue is, too, when he does, it's not like – I, I think it was against Milwaukee. I think that was one of the games where he played his fewest, and that was right before the All-Star break. Uh-huh. Um, I think it, win that? They did win that game. That yeah. was the, like, 40-point game from Joel. Yep. Uh, Matisse played, like, 14 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it was because they were just leaving him open from for three, and I think that was when George Yang went crazy because yep. he was basically getting Matisse's minutes. Yep. Um, so that's just – I love Matisse. I really do. I like that, you know, what he brings on defense. I like that he clogs the lanes. I think he's really good at getting out and running. I just, again, he, he's just such a liability on offense that yeah. it really handicaps him. And then I guess kind of on the flip side, you know, with the way the team was structured, I just don't think that's what they needed. No, it was not. No, I can definitely still see like a role on the roster. Oh, hundred percent. Um, but it's definitely going to be a more so specific role. It's going to be when you end up playing guys, um, like Kevin Durant, like a Jason Tatum. It's it's a, some of those bigger name stars where it's like, hey, I need you to slow him down. I need you to do, I need you to wear him out. I need you to be a menace. I I see him being like a fifteen to twenty minute a game. Yeah. Like during the regular season. And then, like, maybe during the playoffs, like, you could kind of play by year by there. Yeah. Um, but, like, I just don't really see him stepping into that starting role like he did last season. No, not unless he comes in in the offseason, from the offseason, and, and his three-point shot starts to fall. And I'm not even saying, like, he's got to be lights out from here. No. I'm saying he's got to shoot 40%. If he, can saying, shoot, if, if he can shoot league average. If league he can average. Shoot, he is perfectly fine, and if, I'm good yeah, with that. If he can shoot 35%, you, you keep him on your floor, and he, pl- he plays 30 to 35 minutes a night for you. Yeah, easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daniel House, um, again, he's, he's a guy that's going to play an important role as far as the, the wing, the, the three, the defense, he's got that ability. Yes. Let's get to the lesser known guy that they signed that night. Still kind of exciting though. Uh, and that's, uh, Treble and Queen, uh, who was a G League MVP last season. Got two of them on the roster now. Yeah, between Paul Reed and Traveling Queen, uh, he shot thirty-seven and a half percent from three in ten games with the Rockets, forty-five and a half percent from the field, um, four point three points. Nothing spectacular, but it's also a very small sample size. He played ten games and, for the Rockets and seven point four minutes a game. So yeah, not bad, not terrible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not obviously the opportunities that he would probably like. But I think there's a role that he could play. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to be, like, a big role to start. Like, to start, I would like to see the, the team build on their depth. And I think that's where you see, like, teams like Boston and Miami 
that's where they set themselves apart because they are so deep. And Boston got a lot deeper by adding Malcolm Brogdon. And right now, like, Miami's probably about as deep as it goes with them trying to, you know, work something out for Kevin Durant. So, I don't know. I, I, I would really enjoy to see, though, Philly start to play some of these, these younger guys. So, Trevor and Queen, I have his G League stats up here right now. Again, this was his rookie year, yep. his MVP G League season. Averaged 22 points per game. He averaged a tick under three steals per game. Four assists, six total rebounds. And he shot 75% from the three free throw line on three attempts. A game. He shot 32% from three on eight attempts per game. So, I mean, there's definitely... I, I see the interest. I see a three and D guy in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's comfortable taking the three. It's a th- eight a game in the G League. Uh, you hope you can see that three-point percentage jump a little bit. Again, yeah. 35, 36. Obviously, you start getting into, like, the 38. You start getting really excited about guys like this. But, I mean, three steals a game. He's six foot six. Uh, I mean, again, I see why the the interest was there. Right. Uh, they they didn't sign him to a huge deal. I th- I think they gave him. I think it was two year. Let me pull up his contract here. I think it was like a two year deal. Actually, I don't know if you were watching. Yeah, it was two years, about three and a half million. Yeah, and you you know with guys like that where it's like, hey, you have potential. You know, let's see if this pans out. You know, what if all of a sudden you know. The first half of the season, they give him the minutes, and he averages, you know, 12 points per game, but he's shooting 40% from three, Mm -hmm. and he can maintain that. Now, all of a sudden, that's a guy you want to play on your team. I don't know if you heard about his contract situation when Uh on the – I was watching the one broadcast the other day uh, when they were in Las Vegas, and it was kind of funny because they had said about – he was on a ship – when his deal signed and he told his agent he's like listen i'm not going to have connection like phone connection so he's like i if you see a good deal for me like take it <laughs> and um his agent got this deal from philly and he was like blowing up his phone he's like i can't get a hold of him so they're like um you know he's like i just kind of went for it and he told Queen as soon as he got back, he's like, listen, you got to deal with the Sixers for this match. And Queen was, like, ecstatic. He's like, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, so, I'd be pretty ecstatic to find out I'm coming into $3.5 million. But too. It, was, it was just kind of funny. It's like, like, take a deal if it's good for me. And it was literally just all up to his agent at that point. Yeah, and they signed him to a two-way deal? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't, you think it's roster spot? I don't think it was a two, two-way deal. I, they use the two – they have their two-way deals on Charlie Brown Jr. and um, – Julian Champagne, Champagne, yeah, Champagne, Champagne. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited for for Queen. Uh, those are probably the three biggest moves that they've made. Mm-hmm. But the you look at their contracts, and again, none of that is possible without James, James Harden. Harden taking the pay. Cut. No, like they signed. What they signed PJ with that mid level exception. Yep. Um, and then they signed House with another one of those exceptions. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, none of that is at all possible without James Harden saying, hey, you know what? I won a championship. And I, I'm sure you saw Twitter when that happened because every single reporter on Twitter was like, this is borderline unheard of, taking this much money off. Because well, uh, it was right at the same time, Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving. Yep. 
and um, Irving was like, there are all these reports how Irving wants out of Brooklyn. And then it's like, you know what? I'm opting into my contract. And everybody's like, okay, well, that was random. Yep. And then Russell Westbrook opts in on $47 million. And Bradley Beal opts out of his contract. Well, and then signs a Supermax super max deal. Which, by the way, Bradley Beal, I'm so over Bradley I just, Beal reports. I just, I just want to go where I can win. Ah, just kidding. I'm going to take gonna 270 take mil. Listen, you know, I, I love guys that stick with their teams through but and through. The thing that but irks the, me about Bradley Beal is he, like, contradicts himself. He's like, I want to go some. I want to win. I want to go to the best place where I have like, a chance to win. They'll be like, are you are you 100% set on Washington? And they'll be like, <gasps> I don't know. Where, like, guys like Damian Lillard are like, no. No, like, I'm staying in I'm Portland. I'm staying in Portland. There was the, the closest was last summer when, it was, when they were at uh, the Olympics. And Dame was like, I'm not loving the direction the, yeah. the franchise is going. And that's when all the Sixers fans were like, Tyrese Maxey, first round pick. Like, let's get this going. Ben Simmons. Here you go. Yep. And then it never really materialized because Dame was like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm good with, with Portland. Uh, but it was, it's always Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is always in the middle of these trade reports. Always. Every single time. And it's like, Bradley, what do you think about getting trades? Like, I wouldn't mind it. And then it's like, here's a bunch of money. It's like, sold. Staying in Washington. Now, again, I don't, I can't blame him for taking. It was, well, I think it was why. like two hundred seventy mil. It, it like, was it's, a lot. It's of money. a lot of money. I, <laughs> I, I, can't blame I think him. it's actually one of the richest contracts yeah, in NBA history. It is. Well, that's all you're gonna see from now on. Is well, yeah, richer, richer. But like, it's very well deserved. Let me start by saying it that. is. Bradley's but, a very good player. Again, what just irks me about it is that he just never. He contradicts himself every time he speaks to reports about, hey, do you want to get traded? Well, yeah, I wouldn't mind it. Hey, are you coming back to Washington? Well, I want to go somewhere where I can win. You're not going to win in Washington, and he knows it. I don't even know who's on that team anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> Bradley Beal. It's Bradley Beal. Oh, they have Porzingis now. Oh, yeah. I forgot they traded for him last Fantastic. season. Fantastic. <laughs> like, I, I, it, yeah, but, I mean, that's a whole different... Yeah, so... I don't know. No, Bradley, if you're listening, come to Philly, but take a discount. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't even remember what direction we were going. With I don't that. Know either. We were talking. I, about, I just kind of went on a rant about Bradley Beal. Yeah, I mean it happens. But uh, we we're starting to talk about Trev- Trevlin. We were, we were talking about Queen, yeah, but I think. Oh, uh, we started to get into uh, Senor Champagne. Oh, that's right. Yes, I don't. Champagne. Champagne. Julian. Julian. Yes. Um, who we mentioned uh, was the other player we signed on the two-way, correct? Yes, with, along with Charlie Brown Jr. Yep. Um, so I'll read you his stats real quick. Uh, so he is a rookie, so he doesn't have any NBA experience. Uh, he played at St. John's, played in the Big East. So I'll read you his career averages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll explain to you why I think the Sixers liked this guy. First of all, he is a guard. Point guard, shooting guard, fantastic. He's cool. 6'8", 220. <laughs> he's, he's a he's big, a big dude, guard. Yeah. And I, I love big guards. Well, I love those those big body guards. That's why I was so high on Ben Simmons. It's I was why say, Magic is one of my favorite players ever. Uh, even guys like Luka, who are just bigger bodies. Yeah. Um, but he averaged in three seasons. He averaged 16 points a game. He averaged a block. He averaged a steal and a half. Only averaged 1.4 assists. It looks like he was more used as a... The source of scoring rather than the facilitator. Yeah. Uh, he averaged just about seven rebounds, which for a guy 6'8", I would hope you'd average seven. Uh, he shot 
career 81% from the free throw line, career 34% shooter from three. Um, that number is a little worrisome just for the fact that the NBA three-point line, I think it's like three feet deeper. It's Yeah. So 34, 35% will round up and be nice. Um, don't love that number, but obviously you hope that that's something that can improve. I haven't seen his, uh, I haven't had time to watch any of the summer league games. Uh, I haven't. I actually s- think they're on right now. That's too bad. The Phillies are on. <laughs> um, I haven't seen his, his jump shot, how his, his formation looks, how, how he looks shooting. Um, but obviously if, if Daryl Morey had faith in him, uh, in draft or in signing him, I mean, I if Daryl Morey has faith in him, I have faith in him. That's literally how I look at it. And I mean, he looked. I mean, he was playing thirty minutes a game. I mean, he shot. What was it? He didn't shoot many threes. He averaged just under uh, three ticks under two threes a game. So mm-hmm. I mean, he looks more so to be just a, a big body, potentially defensive minded point guard. Yeah. Um, and again, all of the moves we've just talked about all have one thing in common, and that's that they add a lot of depth to yes. the roster. Yes. Um, well, and what I was kind of saying a little bit earlier is I really want them to play a lot of these guys really early. And I, I don't want to say, like, you know, you're discounting the first couple weeks of the season to, like, you know, letting guys figure things out. But I think that's almost what you kind of have to do a little bit. No, yeah. Because, and I think they'll, the wind will come. I'm not they necessarily will. worried about that. Because um, just with the talent that's on the team, mm-hmm. the wind will come. But I think what separates, again, Miami and Boston is the fact that they are so deep. And I think the talent is there for, for Philly. Mm-hmm. But I think you need to play these guys. Yeah, I you think, need to see what you got. I think you need to give Paul Reed consistent minutes. Well, I, need, I think was, you need to see Isaiah Joe get consistent please. minutes. I think you need to start seeing some of these young guys and what they actually bring to the table instead of just stashing them on the mm-hmm. team. I know Doc is not a big believer in, in playing the young guys right away, but I think you really need to give them a fair shot. Well, and we saw this as an issue last year, uh, most notably with Paul Reed. Well, so what ended up happening... You know, you have Joel Embiid, Andre Drummond in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. Then Dre gets traded to Brooklyn for James Harden, the whole Ben Simmons package. And then they're like, all right, shoot, what do we do now? Let's see, to check out the buyout market. And we've talked about this. I like the guys we have in our system, and Paul Reed and Charles Bassey. I'm very yes. high on both of them. Well, and Paul Reed played pretty well. In when any, he, yeah. What, well, in those, like, that three-game stretch before, like, Paul Millsap got here. Mm-hmm. And so... Then they go and sign Willie Cauley-Stein to a 10-day. I think he saw, like, maybe two minutes. Yeah, he might have seen – he didn't see much action. Right. Uh, He very quickly said, all right, this isn't working. Then DeAndre Jordan gets balled out by the Lakers and immediately has connections to Philly. Because of of Doc. Yeah. Um, Again, you you can view him as a lob threat now for James Harden, which – I said in the podcast, there's absolutely no way you can view him as a lob threat anymore. He's his he's older, <laughs> yeah, and and but so they move forward with DeAndre Jordan as the backup five, and then all of a sudden come playoffs, uh, DJ was getting cooked. Well, they, it was just pick and roll after pick and roll after, and he had no idea how to guard it. It and was it's awful. Like, it no. was the, it was some of the worst basketball I remember watching that season. And. and well, the, so what helped is they finally committed to Paul Reed in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it was like... It was too late. It was too late. He literally, like... 
like he's running around like he is like, just all over the place. Like he's very excited, and that's fine. But typically, you work that out during the regular season, not mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And then Joel gets hurt. Now you're forced to play DeAndre Jordan. And the thing that drives me nuts about last year, and I'm not going to go on my rant, you know, because we already did that. But you committed four roster, no, five roster spots to centers. Four. Well, County Embiid. So you had Embiid. Uh, yep, yep, yep. You had Paul Millsap, DeAndre Jordan, Charles Bassett. Uh, you're counting Paul Millsap as a five? Well, that's where they would play him. Uh, okay. He was taking up a spot. Okay. So you had five position or five roster spots committed to a center, mm-hmm. which is why they were so depleted at the wings. Yep. And I think the the mindset of this season or this offseason was let's go get some wings. Let's go get some guys that can play on the perimeter. Like yep. your PJ Tucker, your Daniel House, your Travelon Queen, whoever that they're gonna trade for next at this point, mm-hmm. like we're guessing. Um, which again I think you're too Two most likely guys to get traded at this point are probably Matisse and probably Ferk. Ferk. Uh, because Ferk basically played himself out of the rotation. Yeah, and Matisse, again, is probably your best trade chip outside of maybe Tobias Harris. But I think they've made it clear that they're going to keep Tobias Harris, which I want to kind of segue into what are your, what are your lineups going to look like next year? Because I could see the starting lineup looking a lot different than the uh, closing lineup. Yeah. Um, so I think the starting lineup stays just about the same with exception to who starts at your three. Um, so ideally, at least in my world, let's just say uh, Maxi at your one, Harden at your two is your guards. You could start either Tease or House, depending on how House plays, which I think we you mentioned he'll probably play his way into some of that starting lineup. I think to start the season, if you're going off exactly what we have right now, probably Tease would yeah, start. right now. Uh, and then obviously Tobias at your four, uh, Joel at your five. Another lineup I don't hate um, would be instead of starting Tease at the three, you start Toby at the three, and then you start PJ at your four or vice versa. Uh, sometimes those those like oh he's our starting small forward doesn't really matter yeah just because of how much the NBA is now hey we're switching hey this guy's guarding this guy you know it it doesn't necessarily matter I could see T starting over PJ to like you know at least to start the season like having him start at the three but PJ would probably play a lot more minutes yeah so you mentioned how the starting lineup is going to look a lot different than the closing lineup. Um, and that's because I see PJ as more of a closer. Right. So even if Matisse starts, right, you know, him and – they both might split 20 minutes or 21 minutes down the middle. And, or how many minutes? 24? 48. They yeah. both might play 24 minutes a game. Right. And you just stagger them. Um, but, I mean, I don't hate that lineup. Obviously, I would really like to upgrade that three um, and get – I've mentioned this to you before, but a guy I, I'd really love to see the Sixers can go out and get is a guy like Buddy Heald. Oh, yeah. We, we both want Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald it's on the Sixers. It's just a perfect fit. Yeah. Buddy Heald on the Sixers would be big time. Yeah. But, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on some, some players and other moves they might make. Um, but, again, I don't hate that starting lineup, mm-hmm. even if you have to start Matisse. Um, you get better defensively with P.J., uh, but he's going to help on your bigger bodies. He's not necessarily as quick vertically or uh, horizontally. Right. Um, whereas Matisse, again, is just a menace defensively. Any time he's on the court, it's 
wow, I didn't realize a player could block a jump shot from behind while being five feet out of the play. I, I didn't, didn't realize this. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that Steph Curry, who had probably the quickest three-point shot. Could get a three-point shot blocked? Multiple in a single game. Uh, yeah, fun fact about that game. One, I was in Disney watching the game. Shout out to my honeymoon. <laughs> um, two, it was the first time in Steph Curry's career that he got blocked twice shooting a three. Which is wild. In, in, in one game. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Well, and I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, both were on, like, recovery. Yeah, no. And that's what Matisse is great at. He's such an athlete that he's jump high enough to get those shots, get interfere with those shots, but he can recover. Yeah. Um, you see it so many times where someone sets a ball screen, and what the, the offensive player with the ball will do then is kind of circle around it and pull up right behind the screen, mm-hmm. where all Matisse does is he fights through the screen a little bit, and he gets the block from behind. He's so quick that he can he can just jump yeah. up. and. So I don't hate that starting lineup. Uh, as far as like your bench unit goes, uh, I will say this. I think Doc has to do a lot better staggering those players. Yeah. Um, because, again, if PJ is coming off your bench, I want minutes of James Harden, Daniel House and PJ Tucker. Yes. I want the three of them on the court at the same time. So I know last year we talked about, hey, they should do pairings of like James Harden and Tobias Harris on the floor together, and then Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid on the floor and together. I think they did that. They started to towards the end of the season, but yeah. I think you need to like really stagger your minutes so you get lots of overlap. Yeah. And then when you get into the last five, six minutes of a game, it's, all right, here's my unit. You guys go out and finish this. Right. Um, because there's so many possibilities that a staggered lineup could do. Again, you could run a lineup at one point of, 90, of you know, four of your five players are coming off your bench mm-hmm. in P.J. Tucker, in George Niang, in Daniel House, in Paul Reed, and then you run James Harden as your starting point guard. And I'm like, hey, you know what? That's probably still a better lineup than half the teams in the NBA. And it's much better than what we had last season. Well, and the versatility you get with that lineup is just insane. Yeah. Obviously, you have your lob threat, a true lob threat in Paul Reed, who, again, if P.J. Tucker takes him under his wing a bit, says, hey, you got dog in you, I'm going to bring it out. Yeah. Paul Reed could be a scary person in the NBA. There's a lot of things like... There's a lot that, like, Paul Reed... Like, if you just took a little bit out of, like, each... Like, if you took P.J. Tucker's dog and put it in Paul Reed... You took, like, Joel Embiid's, like, finesse and footwork and gave mm-hmm. it to Paul Reed. Like, I, Paul Reed, I don't know how much you watched of... Uh, you said you didn't watch much of the Summer League. No. Um, he played in... I forget where they were at first before they got to Las Vegas. Salt Lake City? Yes, they were in Utah. Thank you. Yep. Um, Paul Reed, like, it's just so funny to watch him play against that talent. Yeah. Because he looks so smooth under control. He's, he's, he's in that weird, like... He's, like, he's too good for, like, I'm, that level. I'm, I'm going to put it like like me in, in high school. This okay. is how I see it. <laughs> because I was better than the JV team, yeah. talent-wise. But in varsity, I was, like, a step behind. Yeah. Like, and, and again, I still thought I had game. Which, yeah. to my credit, I did. Yeah. But, like, Paul Reed's in that same, like... And I don't know, like, the game is there for Paul Reed. He has the footwork, he has the finesse, he has the skill. It's just something, I don't know if it's a mental thing or what, where it's like, hey, if you get just a little more familiar with, like, this is your talent level, I think Paul Reed could be an absolute menace. I will live and die on the hill of the game against Milwaukee before 
Paul Millsap and oh. and James Harden. I know Harden. exactly what game you're talking about. And he is chirping it up with Giannis, and Giannis is like, who are you? And Paul Reed is going at him every single time, and I loved it. Was it like a chase-down block he had on Giannis? What was it? I, it was something like that. It was just I, – he. I, I think it was a chase down block. And I just remember they kind of trailed out of bounds. And, like, Paul Reed is, like, like, standing over Giannis. Giannis, like, Giannis yeah. And Giannis just kind of has, like, this confused look on his face. Like, who, like, are, who you? are you? Yeah. Like, like if, if we could get that Paul Reed. That, and that's what I'm saying. That's the dog. Like, yes. that's – I was telling you before we started this podcast. Uh, J.J. Redick on the Old Man of the Three was saying how when he was at Duke and he was having one of those electric games where Duke is just lighting up Texas and he's lighting it up. And he's at the free throw line after getting fouled. And P.J. Tucker is talking to him the entire time. And he is getting at him. And he just will not stop. And J.J. Reddick's like, bro, we're up, like, a lot. I am killing you guys. And P.J. Tucker is still going at him. That's what I want out of Paul That's Reed. what I want out of Paul Reed. And you get that combo between Paul Reed and P.J. Tucker, just both of them going at you. I was going to say, there's going to be a lineup where where P.J. and Paul Reed are in the lineup at there's, the same time. There's got to be a dog lineup. It, it's going to be a dog lineup, and it might also be the, hey, we're going to start a fight lineup, and I can't wait. <laughs> well, I think low-key, as I'm thinking about it, like what the dog lineup would be, it's basically the second unit. Oh, because, yeah. Like, Mel- oh, absolutely. Melton, we've already said, is a dog. Um, depending on who they put at the two, like, I wouldn't necessarily consider, like, Isaiah Joe a dog. Um, but he but could be. He could be. Well, George Niang is... George Niang. I is, was literally getting is, there. <laughs> ...is the He's dog a- of all dogs, because he doesn't look like he'll talk trash to you, then all of a sudden he knocks down a corner three and, and he turns around and he's talking to your bench. He's talking to guys that aren't even playing in the game yes. saying, oh yeah, you guys can't stop me. What's yada, yada. I don't even know what he's saying. Exactly. But he's just chirping. And, and again, he's one of those guys where he's getting in your face, he's drawing, he's talking, and I'm like, bro, you look like me. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you, you, please you, be careful. You go with your lineup of like, just Melton, Niang, Reed, and PJ. and PJ Tucker alone. Right there, that's four of your five guys off the bench. And they're just all going to be talking. Oh my gosh. We're, we're going to be, and, and I'll put money on it, we're going to be the most hated team in the NBA. By the end of this, well, which is weird because I don't think that's us right now. I think there's a lot of teams that get a lot of hate right now. I don't look at the Sixers as the team that's the hated team, but I think we're going to get there because I think you have your guys in, in you know, James Harden, Joel Embiid, they're going to do what they do. People hate those guys because of their, you know, their foul baiting. Foul and baiting, I put it in air quotes for yeah. all of you guys who can't they're, see. They're free throw merchants. You know, but on top of that, once you get past those two, man, these guys suck. All right, thank God. Now I just have to deal with Paul Reed and PJ Tucker, and they're just gonna get chirped at the entire time. I see, like, we're talking about it. I know we said it at the beginning of the podcast, but this is the stuff that like gets me amped for the. Oh, absolutely! Again, it's just dogs. Like, it's just, it's just straight up like menace to society. Like, you're gonna get annoyed to hell with Joel and James Harden's play. Just how they play. Just the play alone. Yeah. Just because And then and then you're gonna take that side and be like, alright, thank God, they're both off the court. Now I just gotta deal with DeAnthony Melton. Now I just gotta deal with uh, you know, George Niang and PJ and, and they're just going to let you have it. And what I actually really like from a like plague standpoint is and we've talked about this every year with the Sixers bench. But I have a lot of faith in this second unit being that unit that can say, hey, we have a 10-point lead right now. By the time our starters come back in, it's either still going to be 10 or it's going to be 12, 13. We're going to be up. Well, that was the biggest thing that I said in the playoffs, you know, just by how much we've struggled with once Joel goes off the floor. 
That was the one thing this year I actually felt pretty good about was when Joel came off. Yeah. Is Paul Reed, and I always kept track, Paul Reed's plus minus. It was always about even. Yeah, and that's, and that's all you need. That's all you need. And that's really the first time that I remember in the playoffs watching the Sixers and being like, that wasn't a total disaster. Now, well, obviously... Well, we had that with Dre, too. I mean, I'm on record saying that Andre Drummond was the best backup Joel's ever had. Well, and the thing is, too, with that is um, there was interest in bringing Dre back, but I think he got six mil from, from Chicago, and I just don't think we were going to match yeah, that. Yeah. And that's fine. I think the the Sixers, that was, I think that was the question I posed on the last podcast. Like, are you going to look towards a veteran like Andre Drummond, or are you going to see what you have in Bassey and Reed? And right now the plan is to see what you've got in Bassey and Reed, and you're going to pretty much go from there. Mm-hmm. And then if you need to look into the buyout market, sure, fine. Or if you need to, like, trade. I, I, I could at the very least see them maybe trading like Bassey. I think they like Reed, and they like his game. So I will say this. I see a lot more of Joel Embiid in Charles Bassey than I do Paul Reed. Well, Paul, and I don't mean that in a bad way because Paul Reed doesn't have to be Joel Embiid. I mean, no one can be Joel. Right. But what I'm saying by that is I can see Charles Bassey turning into a backup where it's like, hey, we don't have to change our offense because Josh Martin – or Josh Martin. What the heck? Uh, <laughs> sorry, Caleb Martin came on, whatever. Because Charles Bassey – is on the floor. Like I like I believe in Charles enough to say, hey, we can run the same set and he can do it as efficiently. So the, the only thing that kind of concerns me, and I obviously it's very early. This isn't even real real basketball that's going on. Charles Bassey hasn't really stood out yeah. in this here. Like I can look at Paul Reed and it was like, all right, Paul Reed is definitely playing yeah, above definitely. what is the the competition. And Charles Bassey had those games last year. Like he played well in the G League. But, like, I am also just a little bit concerned because he hasn't really stood out, like, maybe like an Isaiah Joe has. Like, yeah. Isaiah Joe has looked good in the summer league. I would say his stock is way up. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, Charles Bassey, now, granted, he was a rookie last season. He's going into his second year. Um, I just didn't, haven't really seen the jump. Like, Tyrese, do you remember watching Tyrese Maxey uh, last summer league? Yes. Tyrese Maxey looked well above everybody. Yeah. Like, I think there were games... Like, he was putting up, like, 20 points a game easy. Yeah. In, in the summer league last year. And then they were like, all right, you're, like, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you <laughs> uh, were looking at him saying, hey, all right, he's playing head and shoulders above his comp- competition level. Yeah. So, I think that that's the thing that I'm kind of looking for with some of these, like, the second and third year guys with the summer league. Well, I guess mainly second. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess second and third with Isaiah Joe. He, yeah. Like I said, Isaiah Joe's looked good, and I'm, I'm happy with that, and I would mm-hmm. like to see Isaiah Joe. I mean, we've always said on the podcast how we think he's going to have a bigger role, and we hope he has a bigger role. He definitely needs to have a bigger role than Furkan Korkmaz. Um, but, yeah, I'm just – we'll see. We'll see. There's, there, I'm keeping some tabs on some guys uh, in the summer league, like Char, uh, Charlie Brown Jr., Hasn't really stood out the way that I would kind of hope. Yeah. Um, He's another guy that could potentially transform his game into a 3 and D player. Um, he's just another one of those guys that doesn't have an offensive game. Yeah. Like, he, defensively, yes, he's very athletic. He's not as good defensively as, like, say, Tease, but he's, he's pretty good defensively. Mm-hmm. Offensively. There's just not much there. No. Not yet. Yeah. And, again, he's still very young, but... 
it's just it's not developed just yet for him. So, by the way, I don't just this is random as we're getting to the end of the episode. Um, so you know Kendall Jenner and Devin Booker broke up. This is gonna be very random. I did not know that. Okay, so they broke up. Um, and I forget who it was, but somebody posted the odds of like who was gonna be the next Kendall Jenner boyfriend. Um, funny enough. Furkan Korkmaz was on the list. Let's go. <laughs> it, he, was, he had like the fourth best odds. Get him the hell out of Philly. It, it was like some it was some pretty decent names, like NBA wise, and then Furkan Korkmaz was in there. And, and it was like, what? Love that for him. <laughs> I do love that for him. He drives me nuts on the court, but I do love that for him. Go off, King. Um So yeah. Um Burble? Burble. Yeah. Let's oh burble let's burble it up. I know we probably haven't even prepared our burbles yet. Do you have a burble? No, but I could probably find one. I hope we don't pick the same one. <laughs> we haven't yet. That's, um, that's true. All right, let's see here. Um, if you're listening for the first time and you don't know our burble, it's basically our podal or wordle where we you know, pull up old-time Sixers from our generation or generations before. Yeah, we try and go like uh, trust the process Sixers. Um Who's that? Sorry, we have the G League game on, and yeah, uh, we're just looking. Oh, it's a uh, queen. Hey, let's go. Yeah, that's our guy. <laughs> All right, let's let's take a look here. I don't want to go too old school. Yeah, we try and keep it. I'm not gonna say like. Uh, I mean, you guys will see who we who we pick, and you'll understand our era. I don't think I've done this guy before. I think I have mine. I was a big, big fan of him when he played. I think I have mine. All right, you want to go first? All right, yep. Go ahead. Oh, you want me to give you questions? Give me the questions first. Yep. All right. Uh, give me, give me uh, the year he was drafted. All righty. Oh, one. Oh, wow. We're going way back. Way back. Uh, he was first round draft pick, fifth overall. By the Sixers? Nope. Okay. 2001, first round pick. What year did he play for the Sixers? Um, let me find it. Hold on. Hold Immediately, on. My, my brain goes to like Kyle Korver and, nope. and Lou Williams, but nope. they were both drafted by the Sixers. I uh, played for Philly from. 2012 to 2015. 2012 to 2015. Oh, wow. So he was pretty old at that point. Yeah. Tail end of his career. Yeah. Is it Gerald Henderson? Nope. I do like that guess, though. Thank you. Um, who could it be? I can tell 20, you. 2012 to 2015? Mm-hmm. I can tell you who he was drafted by. Murray Spates? Nope. That's also another good one. Okay. Um, yeah, who was it drafted by? The Warriors. Warriors. Um, Ray Spates wasn't a bad guess then. Although he, he, it was later in his career he played for them. Mm-hmm. 2012 to 2015. Maybe this will help. Hold on. That's a tricky one because I'm trying to think of those, those process teams. It wasn't Elton Brand. Mm-mm. It was much sooner. 2002 and 2003 
NBA Slam Dunk Contest winner. Oh, uh, Jason Richardson. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, I was like, all right, well, who's a guy who played with the Sixers but was in the tail end of his career? So, yeah, Mr. J. Rich himself. 2002-2003 slam dunk contest I did really winner. like Jason Richardson. He was a lot of fun. He I, was. But the only thing I remember about him is I think Braun blocked his 360 dunk because he thought he had a breakaway. Yeah, well, the thing with Jason Richardson is like, it was kind of like DeAndre Jordan, or it's like, oh yeah, we're getting this like freakishly athletic, yeah. like slam dunk champ. Uh, he was toast at that point. Like I don't think he could. I'll I'll read you his, his career stats with Philly real quick. Right. I actually don't think they were bad. No, I don't. Th- he was not a bad player when he was in Philly. So with Philly, he averaged ten points per game. Maybe he was bad, worse than I thought. Um. Barely two assists, barely four rebounds. Oh, God. That was very wrong. I remember Jay Rich so differently. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. The guy that I pulled up, like, I remember him. Well, okay, I used him a lot on 2K, and I remember using him, like. KJ McDaniels. No, it's not KJ. Good guess, though. Um, I remember using him a lot because, like, he was just lethal from the mid-range. And I'm looking at. His total games played in his NBA career, and I don't remember it being this few. All right. What year was he drafted? Uh, he was drafted in uh, 2011. He was a second-round pick, 50th overall. By the Sixers? By the Sixers. Philly school. You went to Philly, uh, Philly school? Mm-hmm. That doesn't help me at all. I'm so bad with college athletes. Uh, Temple. It probably still doesn't help. Still does not help me. I'm now stuck on uh, lethal mid-game range. In 2K. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, He was with Philly from 2011 to 2013 and then was traded in 2013. Where did he get traded to? Indiana. Oh, it's Danny Granger, isn't it? No, he was before. He was before. He was Indiana before that. Yeah. And it was not, it's not Thaddeus Young either. Huh? It's not Thaddeus Young either. Was he a guard? He was not. Forward? Power forward center combo. Again, I remember him being a lot better than what I'm actually looking at here. Is it going to be like super obvious and it's going to hurt my head? Um... It was super, not super obvious to me, but it was like, I, I was thinking obvious enough, but now I'm kind of not regretting who I picked here. To the point where I'm partially wondering, oh, okay, wait, no, his stats on Google weren't accurate. It, basketball reference says he played a whole lot more. Well, now I'm just really confused. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really helping out anything here. So he played seven seasons in the NBA. All right, from 2011 to 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, four were with uh, Indiana, three were with Philly. He's with Philly first. Yes. TJ McConnell. No. No, it was sooner. I'm thinking of guys that ended up in Indiana. Yeah. Um, and he's a guard. I need a forward. Power, power forward center. It's not Maurice. Nope. 
Henry Sims? No, but good guess. Not Samuel Downbert. Oh, missing someone huge. For his career, he shot 13% from three. Not something that's going to help you out, but just... Not Spencer Halls, is it? Nope. He was always hovering right around 50% field goals. Don't tell me. Give me like two more hints. All right. One um, at a time. I'm struggling. I'm trying to give you a good hint When here. did he play for the Sixers? It was from 2011 to 2013. So he played with MCW? Yes, to start the season. And then he was part of their purge. Who was that starting? I don't think he was... Was he starting on that? Uh, no, I don't think he was starting on that team. I'm just trying to think who was on that team. It's not Thomas Robinson, is it? No, but another good guess. I think I did him already. I think so too. Would you like me to tell you? I want one more hint. One more just hint. One more. Uh, oh. I don't know if this is going to help at all, but he wore number fifty. LaVoy Allen. There you go. I <laughs> knew I was missing someone. LaVoy Allen. I knew I was missing someone. Yep. Uh, so, for I looked it up on, like, I just pulled up, like, the overview, and it said he'd play, like, 33 games. I was like, that does not seem right over a seven-year career in the NBA. And then I went on the basketball reference, and it was, like, 388. Yeah, I was like, that that's a little better. Yeah. Now, so. LaVoy did have a lethal mid-range game. I do remember. It hurt my head because I think lethal mid-range game my guy was always Gerald Green was a cheat code. Yes, and so that's where my head went. So then I went to KJ. Yeah, and then I was like, "Well, I'm out." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I probably didn't help I, by starting with well, that. Well, and I knew, like when I said Henry Sims, I was like, "There's another forward that played with him that I'm missing that yeah. I can't think of." I don't know why number fifty triggered it. It the, really didn't. I just was <laughs> thinking. Well, the, the biggest thing with Lavoie Allen was everybody made a big deal with the fact that he went to Temple and Philly drafted him. Yeah. That was what the, my big because he was a four-year four year starter at Temple. So that was probably my biggest thing with him. So good burbles. Good, good burbles. Bur- I mean, yours was really good. <laughs> we're starting to get into it where it's like, oh, we've gotten some of like the more obvious players out of the now way. Now we're like really digging deep yeah, on it. Like yeah, like Jay Rich and Lavoie Allen. So, I think with that, I think we're good here. Yeah, I think we're good. Um, thank you again for listening. Season 2, Boat Row Bullies podcast. We're very excited to be bringing it back. Again, we just kind of got that itch to talk Sixers, talk basketball. Um, we're very excited for the season to come, as you guys could probably tell. Um, I just, I can't wait. I can't wait either. We're, we're probably, we'll feel it out podcast-wise, like see what the Sixers do the next couple weeks. We don't obviously want to repeat ourselves. Yeah, we'll probably drop one more before the season starts, uh, and it'll probably be more so of like a, hey, here's what we're expecting, uh, you know, here's what's going on, this, that, and the other. Um, Unless we like trade for like Kevin, Kevin Durant. Durant or Donovan Mitchell or something. Yeah, something we do like an emergency happens. pod. 
Um, but I mean, you're looking, I mean, we'll get, like I said, we'll probably get one more episode out just right before the season starts. Yeah. Um, hopefully this year we can really narrow down our timing of when podcasts will drop. I know a lot of that last year or last season, uh, was because of me and my move and all types of stuff. All that settled down. So hopefully we'll talk, but I think we'll probably try and do every other week. That's kind of what I think we. That's where we were about. trending towards. Yeah. Um, just so that we can, you know, talk about a variety of games instead of just one or two. Uh, I think we both like these longer podcasts a little better. Um, we do typically th- hover right around an hour twenty. Yeah. yeah. If, if we could, I mean, I'm sure. Sure we could. Sure we could. Uh, hover closer to like forty five to an hour. Probably be a little bit. Easier, but I mean, now I'm just getting nitpicky and just kind of, <laughs> kind of just talking. But it's the first time we've been back in a while. We can talk. Listen, a little. we're excited. I yeah. mean, I could spit 40 more minutes of information at you, oh, which you'd easy. have no idea needing to know. Easy. Uh, but yeah, we're really excited to be back. Um, really excited for you to be listening. Uh, thank you, first of all. You tuned into season one. Uh, season two, uh, we're looking to get bigger and better, uh, and just trying to have a lot of fun uh, engaging with people on Twitter. Um, and just living and breathing Sixers basketball. You already know what's good. This has been the Boat Row Bullies podcast. Connor High, Izzy Glick, signing off. We'll see you. See you next time.